podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Joining me, as sometimes, is my good friend and co-host, Chris Ross. Hey, I'm back. Yes, this is nice. It's, it's nice to have someone here on radio to shoot some, some shot with. Yeah, I was expecting to come in and say, and I'm Chris Ross, but uh, you, you switched it up on me. Yeah, hey, that's what happened. You know, you've been gone for a little while, so... We like to keep things fresh here, you know, fresh. Okay. Um, we obviously are going to be talking about the Big 12, and this is a Thursday, which means football is primarily the topic. Uh, Matt Brown from SB Nation joins the show. We have a really interesting conversation with him uh, about what the SEC adapting basically the Big 12's offensive principles and the LSU kind of doing it better than the Big 12 means for the conference like how is how is this going to impact the conference and where might they turn to try and find a new advantage uh, obviously going to talk quite a bit about texas the coaching changes there uh what what does the future look like for tom herman uh who could be the next team to make the big 12 title game against oklahoma this season i don't think it's texas we've got a few teams to discuss that could potentially do it in 2020 uh, and we're going to talk about baylor not specifically Who's going to take over? Because we don't know. And it's 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 silly to sit here. We've, we've speculated before. I don't want to do that again. But just, you know, the future of, of Baylor. What What is realistic expectation for them moving forward? And a really interesting conversation about why Baylor might just be Texas's second rival outside of Oklahoma. Really fun interview. Matt Brown, very, very smart guy. I think you guys are all really going to enjoy this. Yeah, if we don't snake the listeners with uh, a clickbaity headline of, you know, the SEC running the spread is going to doom the Big 12. I'm going to be a little disappointed. But, uh, it was a fantastic conversation, though. Clickbait, clickbait. Speaking of clickbait, uh, shout out to Darren Oval. Had a tweet up and uh, put some stats out that I think were worth discussing. Just real quick. Uh, this is not Big 12 related specifically. But here's a tweet. Data from Pornhub shows disinterest in site 
from Clemson and LSU fans during title game. Viewership jumped in Clemson's home state of South Carolina after the loss. Louisiana resumed to normal levels. There's like a, a 22% spike after the, after the loss. So I, I'm curious from you. Obviously, uh, some people, uh, after a loss by their team, turn to mm, personal gratification to help try and uh, ease their suffering. I am more of a uh, drink excessively kind of person. So, Chris, what is the what what do you do after a loss to try and help calm your nerves? Well, not that. What is this barstool? No, uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. We're that, not going to say anything derogatory about women here. So you're good. That's uh, that's interesting. I would never uh, expected that. I've never been so uh, deflated after a loss that I've had to. Um, seek other means of gratification, but <laughs> to each their own, I guess. Uh, no, after a loss, I you know I don't know if I do anything all that different. It's it's sports, right? You, we've all if you're a big sports fan, you probably sp- played sports as a kid. I would like to think that you know you have to take the losing with the winning, and uh, you just kind of own it and, it, and it sucks, and and you move on. But that's not how you. That's definitely you shouldn't define your life by your sports program, right? By your by your favorite sports team, and uh, I mean yes, we all like to root, we all like to cheer, but um, you know if they lose, they lose, and we pick up and we move on. Uh, I would like to. Now I'm curious of what the those stats look like in Norman after the uh, Peach Bowl loss. Oh, I mean, there's some inappropriate jokes right here. Here I am trying to make <laughs> Pornhub jokes, and Chris is over here getting all philosophical about. It. What's really most important in life? Obviously, Chris, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it's just, I mean, I, I, that correlation clearly exists. Um, I, and I, I mean, it's not, it's weird to me. I, I, I'm surprised by it. I I don't know how else to, I guess I have to get philosophical about it because I, I try to put myself in that shoes and I just have never been like, Oh man, they lost. Let me run to the computer and, uh, close the door for five, you know, for five minutes. Like that's, I don't know. But not not until after, because you know, ninety nine percent of the guys who are participating in this particular uh, survey or study uh, are also the ones who are the angry troll guys on Twitter. Um, that just you know, those are angry troll guys. Those are the those are those now, are, the worst are, of are they worst trolling fans. at the time of mm. gratification? I mean, you do have a free hand. I mean, theory. do we have like a split screen going on? The, no, in the phone screen. in one hand, and you know. All right, we're done. Okay, um, that is enough Pornhub talk for this year. Yeah, for 2020. So uh, without further ado, uh, do us a favor. Go give us a follow on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Uh, If you like the show, uh, let us know. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you wouldn't mind. Uh, And with that, uh, let's let's get to some far more. Oh, yeah. I I think you're onto something, though. I I think I figured it out. It's like if you can't, I can't go to ESPN without being depressed. So what else am I going to go do? I mean, I guess there are worse things to do after a loss. <laughs> no, that's true. All right, let's get to a much more highbrow conversation with Matt Brown of SB Nation. Very excited to have Matt Brown from SB Nation joining the show today. Matt, welcome to the 1012. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. No, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today to talk a little little Big 12 football and, and college football in general. And I, I want to kind of start with a college football question for you. Obviously, we just watched LSU uh, win the national championship on Monday with 
one what could argue one of the best offensive seasons in college football that we've seen in, in ever or quite some time uh, and one of the best quarterback performances from from Joe Burrow that we've seen possibly ever um, and, and obviously you know Joe Burrow being as good as he was plays into how good LSU's offense was but this is we're not used to seeing teams in the SEC have the the best offense in the country that's usually something that the Big 12 is angle, able to to hang its hat on more often than not and most of the Big 12 outside of OU in Texas you know, the the spread offense was kind of born in the Big 12. You know, up-tempo was a big part of the Big 12 because for the smaller schools, it was a way to try and gain an advantage against Oklahoma and Texas who were able to out-recruit them. Um, if you want to you want to beat some of the bigger dogs and some of the bigger names, the Blue Bloods, you got to find an advantage. And when, especially teams like, you know, Alabama, the way they used to play in Georgia now, a little more uh, bully dog style, um, spreading things out, Putting speed on the field helped give them what they felt was an advantage. Well, now you're seeing teams like LSU do that. You're seeing teams like LSU who are able to recruit guys where your third string and fourth string wide receiver would start at places like a Baylor or a, a Kansas State. So I, I'm curious from your perspective for for those kinds of schools who are trying to potentially reach a playoff and, and try and play for a national championship, where do you think they try and turn um, similarly to find some sort of advantage on the field when the teams that have, I mean, honestly, better, better players and more talent are now able to do what they do better. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating question, right? And it, it speaks to what, what I think has been a constant throughout college football history with the evolution of how schemes work is you generally have, you know, some team that that reaches some other kind of innovation, whether that's the triple option whether that's the, you know, the, the, the T formation, whether that's the West Coast offense, usually those are born from teams that are a little bit desperate, <laughs> that, that aren't able to recruit the same amount of size. And then they uh, obtain some kind of advantage and then the other, everyone else copies them and then they have to go find something else. And, you know, I, I, uh, I think in many respects, probably right, that that's sort of where we are with teams using air raid principles you know, it's not just LSU, right? Like Alabama has been doing this now for the past couple of years. And that's why their offense has been terrifying. Ohio state borrows some of that a little bit. Clemson borrows a little bit. USC and Miami, you know, two teams that were pretty famous for being pro style only um, have made some shifts and we're even seeing it a little bit now with Michigan. And so basically it's just Georgia and Stanford and a very small percentage of other schools that are, are not at least taking concepts of, of those spread and those air rating principles. Now, the, the, the tricky thing for most of this league is you aren't going to get mostly blue chip recruits. TCU does occasionally, and they'll, there'll be a couple of schools that, that can get you know a couple each class, but most of them are, are going to be recruiting in Texas. And this is the dominant high school style um, through through that state. And so you know it, it would be difficult, I think, for you know, teams that, that are used to running you know, variations of, of that offense now to just had to go in a completely different direction and say, no, actually, we're going to try to be more like Stanford when your personnel isn't used to running that. And it takes a long time for the whole state to kind of get in line and, and make that evolution. I, I think it's more of an advantage if you're a TCU or a Texas Tech um, or a Baylor even, is you can go pick up somebody who's, you know, a, a left tackle who's had excuse blocking in that kind of system for the past you know, seven years, they've been doing it since sixth grade, and, and they might be able to come in and execute at a higher level, even if their, their sheer physical measurables aren't there. 
the, the interesting things I think are going to be more with maybe they're, 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 the, the move is to go slower rather than faster. And I think we're seeing a couple of teams, Kansas state has always been, has always done this well and, and try to, to limit the length of the game. And, and maybe you do that out of these same kind of principles. It, it might mean, you know, what, what TCU is kind of famous for doing and, and, and being a little bit more flexible with, you know, how they're using linebackers and defensive backs and confusing offenses with some with your three, three, five schemes, or, you know, these kind of hybrid uh, players. Um, there, there may be, uh, across other leagues, you know, some defenses are experimenting with just getting bigger um, and going in the opposite direction. The, the unfortunate and maybe unpopular truth that no matter what kind of real schematic changes that you're going to make or recruiting philosophy that, that you're going to make, the, the bulk of the non-Texas Oklahoma teams, you may be able to use those to steal a conference title every once in a while. But uh, if you're not recruiting at a blue chip ratio, which is to say you're, you're bringing in about as many five and four star guys as three star guys, you're not Going to, you're very unlikely to make the playoff, and you're certainly not going to do any damage once you're there. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an accident that the same four or five teams have dominated that postseason conversation. Oklahoma, who's been really, really, really good and doesn't recruit quite like Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama do, uh, there's a reason that they've struggled uh, once they've actually gotten to that postseason. So, you know, if you're West Virginia, you're Kansas State, I'm not sure the goal is necessarily, what do I have to do to win a national title? It's what do I have to do to beat Oklahoma? Because I can beat Oklahoma once, I give myself a puncher's chance of, of winning the league. And that's probably a more reasonable goal. Yeah, I would say that I, I agree with everything you just said. And you, you make a good point. Like, I mean, outside Oklahoma and Texas, it's going to take what it's always taken for these teams. They're going to have to be a little bit desperate, come up with something, but a great coach, a special class, and, you know, maybe, maybe quote unquote, a gimmick. Or, or something that allows you an advantage and, and the tempo is really there. But we've seen schools like, well, well Gundy for one, dial it back. But I, I don't think we're giving enough credit to maybe coaching because even with a team full of talent, we've seen great coaches go to great schools and, and not do well, uh, Charlie Strong. And those things will always happen. Texas has been recruiting at a super high level for, for several years now, and, and they're not doing much with that. They're still struggling. I think they're, they're on the right track now, but you know, it hasn't been a quick turnaround for them. And, but you look at teams like TCU and Oklahoma State who have phenomenal coaches, which really stood out during the national championship game, and every time they've been on that coaches show that – you listen to Patterson and Gundy speak, you see how well that they understand the game, what they're seeing more so than the other coaches in the room even, and kind of shows you a disparity there. So I, I just think it's going to take what it's always taken. And, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, and, you know, in the BCS era, Florida state dominated in the beginning, they were always in the championship game. Then it was Oklahoma. And, and, and I think we counted this up earlier, but 15 total teams played in the BCS era and we're only in the sixth year of the college football playoff and, and we're seeing the same teams. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not super concerned about it at this point. Yeah. You I mean like when we talk about the, the importance of, of blue chip recruiting, I, I, I think we're both in agreement and I think your reader, your listeners are probably in agreement that, Recruiting at that level does not guarantee you anything, right? Like UCLA recruited at that level in the beginning of the playoff era, and they've been mostly garbage. Texas has certainly done that, and they've struggled. Florida State has done that, and they've struggled. Michigan has done that, and you know I'm I'm, a, I'm an Ohio State guy. I'm a, I'm a Midwestern. It's I, they, they've definitely struggled a lot too. But 
when you have elite coaching, you can win a lot of football games that way. And you can, you can potentially compete for conference titles and you'll be a perennial top 25 and you'll be an offensive innovator, but it's very difficult to do more than that mm. without that. Talent. Um, and, and to the extent you know, that that's why I think, I think there's a hard ceiling at a TCU or an Oklahoma state where maybe you get the stars aligned, you get a 2014 or I, I don't know what the Oklahoma state was with that. 2011 with, with Brandon Whedon, you might get that once a decade. You might get that once a coaching tenure. Whereas Oklahoma, you know, they're, they're just going to have a lot more uh, margin of error mm-hmm. b- because of that. So like, I mean, and, and look, that's the story of college football, right? Like, you know, that's the gig when you, when you sign up to be a fan of one of those programs, it's, it's been that way since, since before World War II. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting now. I mean, I, for next year, certainly, and I think next couple of years going forward, the, the, the number two spot in the league is is very much up for taking. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think you know, myself and maybe some other national analysts really assumed that this was going to be a perpetual Oklahoma Texas battle for for this league, as, uh, especially after Herman came in there. And it hasn't been that way. And I don't think it's necessarily shaping up to be that way next season. No, next season looks to be very wide open. I, I was looking at some some very early polls, and and they seem you know kind of a toss up between Texas and Oklahoma State and. Uh, Iowa State kind of getting in there. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it's very wide open. This is one of those years. But I think we've hinted on this a couple times. If you have a special quarterback and you have a good offensive line, three NFLers really helps, uh, and a talented receiving core, if you have great special, team or special uh, skill positions players, then you can have a special year. It's just more likely that the Alabama's LSU's, the Oklahoma's and the Texas will have more of those years than Oklahoma state and TCU will. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and honestly, you might not even need to have the, the three or four NFL kind of guys on the offensive line. Obviously if you, if you can get those, that's, that's pretty great, but that's generally one of the hardest things to do for, for teams in this league. And, and that's a big reason why the air raid and why some of these spread principles are popular. And the whole reason they were created was it's difficult to 300 pound left tackle high schoolers don't grow on trees. You're typically finding the guy that's either 270 and you hope you can, you can, you can help him gain weight and, and keep his strength and speed or a guy that's 340 and you hope he can lose all that weight and not develop pre-diabetes and, and then still keep some of those, uh, th- those attributes. And that's, that's difficult to do. If you can have if you can have an elite quarterback, at least one elite pass rusher, a really good center, and just be really you know very strong up the middle of your, of your of your team, then you have a chance. And we've seen a couple of those teams that that don't have that recruiting pedigree make a jump up. I'm not sure if there's anybody in this league next year that jumps at me as as a team that fits the profile that can do that. But are there any that could win ten games or maybe be an equivalent of this year's Baylor? Sure. Like that could, that, that could certainly be Oklahoma state. That could certainly be Iowa state. That could be, it could be Kansas state again, because that's a team that doesn't really need five-star guys to, to, to be successful. Um, and I think that's kind of the ceiling we're looking at for next year in this league. So I, I want to talk to Texas, but since we're kind of on this topic of, you know, the number two spot is wide open. I, I'm, I'm going into this off season with the theory that, you know, Oklahoma, since the Big 12 title game has come back, Oklahoma has faced a different team in that game. They faced TCU and then Texas and then and then Baylor this year. And I look at this game and go, I get the feeling we're not going to get to an ACC Coastal kind of thing where there's seven different teams in seven years in a row, but where 
we're going to see a Oklahoma face a different team for the fourth year in a row in the Big 12. Obviously, Texas could throw a wrench in, in that theory, but I, I feel pretty good about saying Baylor's going to take a slight step back uh, and, and TCU is not there yet. So I, I am curious your opinion. Um, looking at the rest of the league, who do you think would be the most likely or most likely couple of teams who could face Oklahoma this year outside of of, of Texas? Yeah, it's... It- uh, it's a it's a good question and and I'm not sure that the talent gap between you know team number three and team number six is is, is super vast coming coming into next season like I intellectually understand the argument for Iowa State um, they were really young this was my understanding this year they're I mean like they're, they're they're losing I think their center and and uh, their, their left tackle and a couple of wide receivers but the the bulk of the rest of their their whole team is returning and, and Brock Purdy has the potential for somebody who could be a very special quarterback, certainly compared to other guys that you see there at Iowa state. I think, and this is a weird thing to say about a team that won, you know, one of finished over 500 and won a bowl game that there was some, um, it was a feeling that I think this was, this was, this year was a disappointment for Iowa state. And, and, you know, if you, the rest of my lifetime, winning seven games would be a, a cause for jubilation. Like that, that just goes to show how, how, how things have changed there a little bit. There's certainly a possibility. I think, I think I want to Oklahoma state, maybe you, you have one of the best running backs in the entire country. I'd like to see a little bit more efficiency out of Sanders. And, you know, he was, he's a young guy, right? He was a, he was a freshman or Richard. Richard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This year, I think, right. Like, yeah. Like he's he's got a lot of room to grow. You you don't want to throw eleven interceptions, um, but if you're able to to cut that in half and and put up an, an eighteen and, and six, eighteen and seven kind of season, which I think is is possible, um, they might have the the most well rounded off offensive attack short of Oklahoma, who is going to have some questions of their own uh, in the week. So I you know if you want to tell me Oklahoma State, sure. You want to tell me Kansas State, um, I, I I could definitely see it. My my expectations were were greatly exceeded this yeah. season. And if you bring in a coach that, <laughs> that, that wins 11 gajillion games with, without elite talent, shouldn't be a big surprise. He came in and won some football games without elite talent. I think it's probably going to be somebody within, within like that three, right? Probably either Texas. Um, I mean, we're excluding Texas here. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be in the Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State group, which I know is, is you know, half the dang league. But <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say Baylor's probably taking a big step back. Mm-hmm. And yeah. West Virginia and Texas Tech are, are probably not anywhere near that conversation right now. I, I think you guys are both right. Baylor taking a step back, losing rule. Uh, Brewer, you know, a couple of big hits the last two times out. I expect him to be back. It's just that's really tough. You know, he's going to be concerned watching there. But Texas with, with Ellinger back and Purdy back at Iowa State, that might be the difference. Oklahoma State is looking like it could have a really special year, but we're going to have to see a lot of growth out of Sanders because – he, he did make several mistakes and he had, you know, kind of those red shirt freshman mistakes. So we would have to see some growth for me to fully buy into the Cowboys. Yeah. You know, let, I guess we can talk about Texas here a little bit because the, I feel like the, the rationale for them taking a step forward is just like, well, you know, they got all these four stars on their roster. They have a coach that's, <laughs> that's a diabolical brain genius. Like it's certainly they've got to do better. The advanced stats heading heading into the season really did not like Texas at all. I think that that eight and five is probably a little bit more indicative of what 
their, their true talent level was. Like this, this would have been a good example of a, of a team that just benefited enormously from a bull bump at the end of the year, even though they were really pretty fortunate in 2018 to win as many close games as they did. And I look at this team and like, well, you have a quarterback that is a leader and that can put up, you know, good statistical performances and can't throw super well. And you have a team that hasn't really developed that kind of change of pace into your running that you would expect from a team like Texas. And their defense was horrific. Now, granted, excuse me, they had a ton of injuries. And I'll say this yeah. about Chris Ash. Um, he is somebody who has done a very good job of improving defensive fundamentals in the secondary, especially with tackling in space. He did this at Arkansas. He did this at Wisconsin. He definitely did this at Ohio State. He's not an elite recruiter, I don't think. And, you know, some, some of his deficiencies, I think, were, were pretty clearly displayed in his tenure at Rutgers. But I think he should be able to improve what was a really bad secondary. But I'm not sure I really understand the argument beyond experienced quarterback and lots of stars that this team is going to take a really substantial step forward. Um, they really weren't that good <laughs> for a lot of the regular season. I think their best two performances were that bowl game, which means the least, I think, of any particular game, and a, cl- and a competitive loss uh, to LSU. Um, it could happen, but, you know, if I was to fill out like an AP top 25 ballot right now, I certainly wouldn't have Texas any, uh, by any means higher than 20. The, the one thing I would point out about Texas is when we saw a healthy Texas they played a competitive game against the Tigers and they beat Utah. Outside of that, they got super banged up early in the season. It took a long time to recover. So I don't want to fully knock them in the season that they had uh, just because the injury depth on that defense and the secondary and the, I mean, in the running back position was just kind of unbelievable, almost comical. And so it took them a while to bounce back from that. So I don't want to fully knock them, but uh, if they're healthy, they can be a very dangerous team. Yeah. I mean, Robin, Robinson might come in there and be that running back that right from the get-go, mm-hmm. right? He's one of the best, best recruits in the country. Um, you're getting some, re- <laughs> some, some reinforcements at linebacker, at defensive tackle, who could potentially play pretty early. But, you know, that's, we, we, we've, seen this, we've seen this story here before. You know, my, my colleague, Wes Scott Ebert, at, at Burns Nation here at SB Nation, has written a lot about this. And I think it's a dynamic worth monitoring that – Tom Herman's maturity level was probably not where we thought it was going to be when he took this position. You is know, it, he, is that what we thought? I, I mean, like I agree with you with where it's at, but I don't know if we expected more. Well, I mean, I, I sort I don't, I don't know about you guys and maybe within the conference, things are a little bit different. I, I know the national perspective was, Hey, this is the hottest coaching candidate in the country. This is somebody that LSU very badly wanted as well. He came in here, went to Houston, signed the 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 the, the biggest G five recruiting uh, win literally ever, um, and and one of the and probably the best single uh, you know non power conference recruiting class ever, and uh, turned a commuter college into a national player for you know a season and a half. He's really smart. He had you know helped Ohio State win a national title. Everything on paper seemed like well, of course he would go to the school that has every natural advantage to be really successful. And that hasn't happened. And part of that is I don't think he's adjusted really well to the enormous amount of media attention that that program gets. He hasn't done a, as good of a job as he should managing his staff to see him coming out there and, you know, nearly concussing himself, smashing his head again against helmets. Um, and that's not know, the first time. 
it's not it's not the first time and you look at that in conjunction with everything else there's these kind of you know eccentricities that you can tolerate or kind of explain away if things are going really well but all of that the weird feud with zach smith and ohio state the some of the weird stuff that's happened here with Virginia. i you, you look at that and think maybe these are these are signs of, of growing pains for somebody that, that that wasn't quite ready for the magnitude of this particular job and maybe it works out this year right he's got almost completely new coaching staff i know we talked before the show a little bit that that generally isn't a positive omen it, it does work occasionally there, there are people who have by and large been around other very successful programs but he's not going to have four years to figure it out right mm-hmm. and and there's going to be i think some uncommon pressure around this program for this season that they haven't had in a couple of years. So I'm curious your opinion. Looking at you know his complete staff overhaul, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have a count, but I'm pretty sure we might have one or two guys left over from last year. You know, obviously this puts the pressure on Tom Herman. There's no more excuses. There's you know these are you brought in a new staff. It's all all of the scapegoats gone in one one fell swoop. Yeah, and I know that the the general thought is it's Big Twelve championship game or bust. But is there is is that it? Is it he makes the Big Twelve championship game, he wins double digit games next season, or he's out? Or do you see any sort of making market improvement from last season that could keep him around, or is it just he's got two years left and and, and he's got two years to prove it because he brought this staff? And I'm, I'm curious how you look at at Herman's longevity and and what kind of impact this season could have on it. I don't think it's necessarily a big 12 title game or bust, but it definitely has to be, we need to see market, you know, substantial improvement, particularly at the things that the team has struggled with, right? That means this secondary has to be able to tackle people. Um, You have to be able to, to, to see some level of, of performance indicative of the alleged talent level in that unit cannot be as bad as it was last year. You have to be playing better at the end of the year than you were at the beginning, and you have to show up in the beginning because that's been kind of a weird thing about Texas, right? Like you got being swept by Maryland and, and struggling in the beginning of the season and, and not really finding that intensity. Um, you you have to do that. Now, I think next season, if they go to, to Tiger Stadium and win that game and somehow trip up and lose a stupid game to West Virginia or something and don't make the, 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 the championship game, are they going to fire him if he goes nine and three and he has a huge win? No. Um, there'll be some people complaining in the offseason and, and there'll be a little bit more pressure, but you're, you're not going to do that. I, I think I think the only way that he would get fired after next year is if they, you know, they they go they they go seven and five or worse. And it's a it's a challenging schedule. Um, but that would that that would not be my expectation. So I do want to talk about Baylor a little bit before we before we wrap up. Obviously they on the on the search for a new coach, we've heard Justin Fuente as a name attached to this. Um, I've seen Dave Veranda. Obviously, there's the internal candidate to, with Joey McGuire, who's uh, you know that's who the players have all voiced their opinion they would like to see become the next head coach. I, I'm I'm I don't necessarily want to know who you think is going to be the guy. I don't think anyone. I don't know. Throw out names. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all throw out names, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I, I am curious, looking at Baylor and the state they're in, and, and what Rule has been able to do for the program very, very quickly, um, do you – is Baylor primed to continue to get better, or did Matt Rule achieve something that's going to be really hard to continue to grow or replicate at Baylor? Matt Rule created something that will be difficult to replicate at Baylor, I think, in the short term. Because they definitely overachieved 
So they overachieved not just to their talent level. I mean, they have the they had the worst recruiting class in the conference right now, and they weren't setting the, the world on fire before then. But also, like they were literally fortunate to win two or three of those games because they executed very well in overtime and, and, and in close matchups. Like what they were doing on a per play basis, especially in offense, was not what you would expect a double digit win team to do. Now they could very well be could they could improve and go eight and five or improve and, and even have seven wins um, just by being a little bit more unlucky. I think you can, you can build a perennially bowl eligible top half of the big 12 team at Baylor. Now you have a beautiful new stadium. You have a, a, a booster culture that is, is prepared to, to make investments. You're going to have a coach that people have heard of. And because the program did not completely bottom out for an extended period of time after the scandals, like I think maybe some people thought, um, that will, will, will give that brand a little bit of stickiness, I think, I think in recruiting with, with a potential new coach. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the expectations are. And looking at some of the names that are kind of bandied about, if they end up going external, I think my expectations in the short term would be pretty modest. Um, Rule just did an amazing job. Like he, had, he it was not an accident or a fluke that he got such a, gig, a gigantic length of, of contract because it was expected that he was going to come in there and have a decimated roster and you'd go three, nine for three years in a row. And if he had, no, I don't think anybody would have judged him or thought differently of him, especially because he wasn't a Texas guy, which is mm-hmm. so important when almost all of your recruiting class is going to come from Texas, come from the Metroplex, come from, from Houston. He did a really good job building those relationships. And, you know, if it's Fuente or if it's somebody else, it will be difficult to, to do that at the same scale and as efficiently and quickly as, as Rule did, I think. I mean, the speed of which Holly bounced off of that, bounced back from that scandal kind of puts pressure on Herman. You know, you have Texas fans looking at their program that just can't seem to get over the hump. Looking at Baylor, who used to be just the stepping stone of the Big 12. Like, I mean, they were nothing. They'd never even beaten Oklahoma prior to RG3, right? So it's to see them bounce back in a way after that. I, I, In my opinion, I think you have to go in-house with McGuire, and even if it's as an interim for this next season, and then kind of address things at the end of the season. Uh, to kind of, if you do have to make a new hire, you know, do it on the front part of the coaching carousel, try to get some value there. But right now it's, uh, I don't know, it'd be tough call either way right now. Yeah. And, and honestly, if they took a step back for at least in the short term, I'm not sure Baylor fans would really freak out. (laughs) I think a lot of them realize that they, uh, they kind of hit the lottery a little bit, given how everything played out in the short term for the program. And, um, We'll see how it goes. You're definitely right, though. Um, From what I've seen, the fact that Baylor has been successful and maybe some other kind of Baylor accoutrement has particularly infuriated Texas fans and people close to that program. Um, If if you are looking for a... a, Clearly, Oklahoma is still the big rival, obviously, but if you're looking for another program where there's some pure, unadulterated resentment um, more so than anybody else right now, I think for Texas, it's definitely Baylor. They want to be better than that school. Yeah, it's it's hard to, you know, be the big brother and, and stop a school all the time. And then all of a sudden for the past decade, they've just been they've just been better than you. And and Texas has always out recruited Baylor and yet somehow they're always able to overachieve and and, and have become a better better coached program than Texas. I, I you know, I just I think Texas is harder to win at than people want to 
want to say. And I, and I know that I think Mac Brown almost, I mean, that decade of success he had raised expectations to a level that don't line up with what Texas really was before Mac Brown got there. And so Absolutely. now they're Absolutely. Yeah. And so now they're trying, they think they should be able to maintain that level of success. And I just, I just think it's hard with so many things going on and, and the, the booster culture that they have at Texas and so many voices never wants to have their opinion heard that it takes the right guy to be able to manage all of that while, while putting together a successful coaching staff. And I just don't think Tom Herman has figured that out yet. And I don't, I don't know if he will. I don't, you know, I don't know if just being a good coach is going to work at a place like at Texas. You know, I, I, you could be, it's kind of like at Alabama, Nick Saban is able to run everything at Alabama. Uh, you could be whoever takes over after him could be a good head coach and fail because it's such a, it's just so different than other places. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. And it's really a, t- a testament to how historically good that coach Nick Saban is because very few people are able to control, every, you know, every, every facet. I'll think I'll think I'll, I'll just, I'll leave with this just in, in, in general, when you're thinking about what, what infuriates a fan base is that no matter how old you are, I think how the college football world looked during your formative ages when you began to understand college football, really began to get into it, that plays a, that has a subconscious bias in how you view teams moving forward, even if they, they look completely different, right? So if you're, I'm, th- I'm 32, if you're about my age or, or maybe a little bit younger, your formative years to understand college football are when Baylor was just absolute dog crap. And when Texas would play that game, I mean, they would, they would routinely win by 50 points, right? From like 1992 up until like 2010, I think Baylor had won just once and it was kind of a fluke game and they won by two and normally they were just murdered. And so I think if you're a Texas fan of around my age, even though like very clearly Baylor has money, Baylor has won league titles, Baylor is putting guys in the NFL. They're not the same Baylor of 1998. You still look at this and go like, you know, what, what the hell? How are we losing to Baylor? Like if Indiana football became a powerhouse or not a powerhouse, but it became like the next Wisconsin over the next couple of years, intellectually, we could understand, okay, like Indiana beating Penn State or Michigan is like not that weird. Indiana is really good. But like, I think in a lot of our heads, we're still remembering the Indiana that we grew up, which was not this way. And so that shades both how Texas fans perceive Baylor and also how Texas fans of a certain age perceive Texas. You're absolutely right. What Mac Brown did with Texas being a perennial top 10 team for a decade is a historical. <laughs> Texas has won national titles before. Texas has been very good before, but Texas has not been Ohio State or Alabama or even Notre Dame and being elite over that long stretch of period. USC is another school that's like this like go look up sports reference right there's a lot of rose bowl wins and 10 and 11 win seasons for usc there's a lot of seven and fives and six and sixes in there too and i i think for similar reasons it's not exactly the it's it's a, it's a place where you can win a lot of games but it's not as easy to sustain things there as you might think all right matt you have been just awesome i love that last point that was really smart and really interesting and makes a whole lot of sense as i think back and think i'm you know i'm 35 it's still weird when baylor's good it is like it's just it still boggles the mind like one season here and there you know like kansas had makes sense but to see them be that good for that long is just it's just odd uh matt for all the work you do uh, over at sb nation everyone to uh, to to be able to go and check it out how can they do so yeah um the the best way to find out what i'm doing right now is 
to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, it's called Extra Points. It comes out twice a week. Um, the next edition will come out on, uh, first thing Friday morning on January 17th. It's a newsletter that covers all of the off the field issues that, that shape what we see on the field. So if you're interested in uh, information about media rights, about the, the likeness right, rights debate that's happening right now with some of the other financial things that, that shape college football, I think you'll really enjoy extra points. There's a fair amount of information that, that relates to Pac-12, excuse me, the Big 12 teams that are on there. You can find that on my Twitter page. That's uh, Matt, at Matt Brown EP, or you can find it at mattbrown.substack.com. Matt, again, thank you very much. Really enjoyed this. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you again down the line. Yeah, no problem. It's been my pleasure. Hey guys, a couple of things before we go. Just a reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the 1012 podcast so you don't miss a single episode during the football season. Two, rate and review the show. Five stars, please. It helps guests get the word out about the show to other people. Plus, we just like to know what you like and don't like. Just if you're going to give us one star, let us know why. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to be part of our first mailbag episode this month, shoot us your question. You can DM us on Twitter, at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast, or you can shoot it to us in an email. That's 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, word podcast, at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.